Hey, it's Allison Hare. Welcome to Late Learner, formerly known as Culture Changers Podcast. How are you doing with those resolutions? Well, it's week two of 2023, and according to statistics, and if statistics and research and data is right, 25% of the people who commit to New Year's resolutions drop off after the first week, and it goes down from there. Kind of depressing, right? Like a quarter of people drop off after the first week. But not really, actually. I think it's a commentary of human behavior as well. And it's getting a lot deeper than just discipline. I've thought about this a lot. And digging in right here is where things get juicy. You know, last week, all of the podcasts were doing shows on goal setting. And I've been listening closely. I personally have a little bit of a different story on goal setting. And I'll get to that in a minute. But let's get back to you. Last week, I bet you were so excited to tackle your resolutions, your word for the year, your goals, new year, new you, you are journaling, you're in the gym, you're bypassing the chips and eating more veggies. You're feeling good. Your body already feels better. You've even in a better mood. I mean, you are freaking owning 2023. And then what happens? Well, Usually, all it takes is one thing to bring down that house, Uh, usually a teeny tiny little trigger. And then what happens? Then something happens and you say, fuck this shit, maybe tomorrow. Fuck this shit. I know this because this is how I operate when I'm trying to do a 180 degree turn from my normal programming, you know? It's a big change. And for me, I'm doing this new New Year challenge that I set up where every day in the month of January, I'm doing something new. It could be something small. It could be something big. But the objective is to like train the brain to be looking for doing things differently and open new possibilities. And I am all about like setting the runway up for new possibilities this year. And if you want in, you can join me at allisonhair.com forward slash new new or just go in the show notes. But the reason why I made this into a public challenge and have a bunch of people joining me and I'm being dead serious on this is because I don't think I would follow through if nobody was watching me. And in fact, this past Sunday, I just was in a bad mood and I freaking hate when that happens. No reason, maybe it's hormones or perimenopause. I'll probably do an episode on perimenopause and the emotional side of aging, but I was just grumpy. And I got I get in two different sets of thoughts when I'm agitated. The first is that when I'm in a low mood, um, I know I can get out of it really quickly if I do one of two healthy things. One is to go dance. It, for me, it immediately snaps me out of it. I'm grateful that I became a dance fitness instructor over the pandemic and have access to like hundreds of videos um, and dance routines, routines that I know that I can just get up and dance and move that energy out of my body and it feels really good. It immediately snaps me out of it. Maybe it's the endorphins that come with the movement and music, but there are so many times when it truly has saved me. The other one is to go walk in nature. And this takes a little longer, but it, at least for me, but it, it really does help. 
But then the other thought is that sometimes I purposely don't do those healthy things on purpose to get out of it. And the reason why I do that, it's not because I want to wallow in self-pity or, you know, be pissed off. The reason for it is that I want to truly process the mood instead of covering it up with lipstick and sparkles. Of course, I could go a third route and get drunk as a skunk or do some retail therapy, but I'm trying to be a little more intentional. It's 2023, right? So I'm walking around all pissed off and thinking about doing something new every day in this past weekend. And I'm all like, fuck this shit. But then I'm like, oh, wait, I've got this Facebook group and I need to, I should set a good example. So I'm glad I have this challenge to hold me accountable. But then I think of so many people don't. And I looked up a study on why people fail at their New Year's resolutions. None of these will surprise you, but I think there's way more nuance and compassion and grace that can be implied and a bright light to help keep you moving forward. Okay, why do people fail at resolutions? The first reason for failure 35% of participants of this study who failed their New Year's resolutions, the reason why 35% said unrealistic goals. So let's talk about it. There are two kinds of goals. And so I want you to kind of think in the back of your head where you fall in this. One is very common, and it usually starts with the words more or less. I want to make more money. I want to eat less sugar. I want to get rid of debt. I want to be more present. I want to drink less alcohol. I want to spend more time with my kids. Okay, these are really noble goals, but there's no specificity to it, so it's hard to hold true to it or very easy to fail or forget. So it's almost inherently setting yourself up for failure. It's almost like a throwaway generic goal. Like, I want to make more money. All right, well, what behavior needs to change in order for you to make more money? A new job, ask for a raise. And did you know that there are studies that show that people are more willing to sit in a job that they are underpaid for, that they complain about, that they resent? They're more willing to do that and kind of stay in the status quo than they are to ask for a raise. And that like, oh, that hurts my soul. I, I think there's, su- there's such a commentary around our value, our self-worth, our confidence to be able to ask for more. But that is another episode. But uh, I, I, I just thought, oh, I think we need to reprioritize what we really need and what we're willing to stand up for. Now, the second kind of goal, so that's like the more or less, the generic kind of throwaway goals. The second kind of goal is a SMART goal. SMART stands for specific, it's an acronym, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic or relevant, and timely. And my husband and I write down our New Year's resolutions every year together on a piece of paper. We've been doing this for like every year since we met. And what we do is we write it down, we fold it up, we put it on a, in a Superman le- metal lunchbox that it's it's fun to, so yeah, so I do have this Superman metal lunchbox. It's got 
all of these little pieces of paper of us writing down our goals year after year after year. And it's fun to look back and see the early years, like some of the dumb stuff we were working on and the big stuff we accomplished and some bigger stuff when we failed and failed and failed and some that we really did accomplish. And my husband falls more into the more or less camp. So this year we made a conscious effort to turn them into SMART goals. So that might look like instead of spending more time with the kids, it will look like I'm going to devote Now, remember, that's specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. I'm going to devote 30 minutes of screen-free time for us both focused on each kid twice a week. 30 minutes of devoted time, no screens, full focus on them, 30 minutes twice a week for each kid. Or I'm going to replace one glass of wine a night to kombucha, Um, drank out of a wine glass so you can still have that kind of ritual, ritualistic, or I'm going to put together a detailed progress list of projects, uh, metrics of my results and progress by February 15 to present to my boss to ask for a raise. Those are smart, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic or relevant and timely goals. The other option to do what I think is even better So you have these goals, right? But most people go into the year with these totally pie-in-the-sky goals without a real structure or defined ladder to get there. Like, I'm going to net my first million dollars in earnings this year. But the reality is that you've been earning a steady $150,000 a year and uh, haven't really done much beyond that. You hope maybe some lottery tickets you forgot to buy are going to do the trick. So you kind of have to make those relevant or at least uh, change some behaviors that would help you get there. So what does that look like? So maybe the better plan is to have more bite-sized goals that can feed into the bigger goals. Like getting to your pre-baby weight may not be a good goal if you freaking love uh, to eat shitty foods and hate to work out. But committing to doing a fun workout, like something you love twice a week, even if it's a walk or just even eating one healthier meal per week, that's still progress and that still counts. So I really dig the bite-sized goals more than the big-ass aspirational ones. So the other reasons why people fail. So the first one is unrealistic goals. The second one, 33% reported that they didn't keep track of their goals. 23% forgot about their resolutions. And about 10% of those folks who failed said they made too many resolutions. Yeah, I've been there too. It's better to make it more manageable than, how, you know, like I think three or even if you set it up into buckets of like, like friendship and family, relationships, work, uh, spirituality. You know, I think we had four or five buckets that, you know, like big buckets that we really wanted to have one goal in and, and kind of make it a little more manageable. But some people will write down a whole shitload, like a wish list. And it's just, you know, like you can't even keep those all in your head all year long. So where do you fall into all this? Are you killing it? You know, like you are so confident about 2023, you have finally got this, you're, you know, you're on day 12 of the year and you're just crushing it, you're doing 75 hard, whatever it is. Or are you feeling sort of shameful about 
not being as consistent as you had hoped. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into this. Some of this info is like, no shit. It can be hard to create some new habits, right? And I'll share a story. Um, And it's something I have talked about on the podcast, but never in detail. And I personally have a very different relationship to goals in that I am almost completely resistant to making any, like completely. You may relate to this, but I've spent countless masterminds and retreats and programs that I'm in, coaching programs, setting these big aspirational goals. And, you know, like this time next year, I'm going to, you know, and it's funny because I've done this so many times, you may relate to this, where I almost like the moment it comes up of like, all right, we're going to take out our journals, we're going to write down, it's the, you know, December, whatever of the next year, where are you? What does your life look like? Write down in present tense, what does life look like for you? Not I want to be, I am. And that would always, that would always send, it would, my heart would always sink because I've done it so many times. And, and those goals have come and gone, right? And it's not like I didn't do the work, And, you know, maybe it was, I don't know, uh, I I get the sense in some cases, and I'll throw this out there, and for what it's worth, you can take it or leave it, but I I am learning in real time as I'm building out this business or as my new life as an entrepreneur, you know, that I have forced unnatural timelines and really have tried to make things happen because that is what I do. I make things happen. I do things quickly. But I think that when it comes to really big aspirational goals, that some of them you just can't microwave. Something that needs to bake a little longer. You can use a baby analogy, a pregnancy analogy. But to me, I feel like I've been trying to microwave something that you know as time passes, then I see like, oh, that's why. But let's go back to why I'm resistant to goals. And, you know, like I, I've, I've done the things like by this time next year, I'm going to have bought my third house on the beach, luxury cars in the driveway, kids are happily playing, and my husband and I are counting our millions. I mean, dream big, right? Why not? And I've set much smaller goals. I've done manifestation exercises and techniques. I've consumed every type of methodology only to have seen these goals come and go. And the disappointment would just grow and grow and self-shame. Like, what did I do wrong? Or did I make, or even like self-doubt, like not mistrusting myself or my own abilities And, you know, at the time and over the past few years, I've also been in a work environment that was super high stress and intense when it really did require my full attention, but that didn't always match the results of my efforts. So I became very disillusioned and frustrated whenever we would put together like financial projections at work. And if you work in SaaS sales, SaaS stands for software as a service. And if you do, you understand exactly what I mean with this. 
there was a certain level of bullshit required to appease the shareholders or in your immediate view to save your boss's ass and rely on some Q4 magic, which the Q4 magic inevitably had some merit to it. But I digress. I stopped setting goals. And I also had struggled with disordered eating and body dysmorphia a few years back. And you'll see how these kind of two worlds really converge for me, you know, uh, and I I don't get on scales anymore. In fact, I'll tell you a, a kind of a crazy story. Years ago, this was shortly after my daughter was born. My daughter is seven and a half now, and I was hell bent on getting my pre baby body back. I was going to be the unfettered mom whose body snapped right back after my second baby. I would wear fabulous clothes, look like a million bucks wherever I went. Uh, And, you know, it's funny because I remember telling people, I don't want the, uh, uh, the only evidence I want that I've had kids are my kids. I don't want to see it on my body. And, you know, like this was like a mantra and a motto that I really, really followed. And I'm going to go really deep here. You know, like in other words, under no circumstances was I going to let myself go, which I say this in in air quotes. And a side note about this, my mother had six kids. I have two. My mother had six kids, 10 pregnancies. And she was skinny, skinny, skinny after all those kids. She loved to entertain. She was the life of the party and had so much flair, just loved these like colorful things, which if you know me, you'll know I love bright, bright colors. I'm wearing a bright yellow tank right now. You know, like I I generally don't wear a lot of black um, and love these colors. And, you know, when my parents got divorced, when I was a teenager, my mom suffered from severe depression and had been prescribed Prozac, I think I remember. It was like, it was right when Prozac came out uh, and, I, and her weight ballooned, ballooned, which made her even more depressed. And imagine going shopping, you know, like when you can wear whatever you want and then all of a sudden you can't find anything that fits you anymore. And it was such a mind fuck for her. And, you know, she, it made her even more depressed. She never dated again, never worked out. She never went to college because, you know, she decided to have a family instead and she didn't work while she was raising us. My father was the breadwinner and, you know, it was kind of common with where we lived too until the divorce. And she had to make ends meet as a newly single mom and her weight gain left her limited on what she could wear. And one day she just gave up and I'm saying this, I feel bad. Like I feel, I I want you to kind of listen with a lens of not the vanity of where this comes from, but like the deep emotional side of this. You may have a similar story or know people that have similar stories to this, you know, but my mom would wear these unflattering palazzo pants. Do you remember those? They look terrible on everybody, but were comfortable as hell. I guess they were like the Uggs of sweatpants. And I, I want you to Google it palazzo pants. My mom would wear like a sweatshirt with stains on it, black, she'd have these palazzo pants, black sneakers that were falling apart, and she'd have her acrylic nails done, but growing all the way out where you can see the beds of her nails, like fully, and 
she'd out be out wearing a colorful coach bag. And I hate to admit it, but I was devastated how she stopped caring for herself. And while I understand and have compassion for her and her state in context, especially now that she has passed, I was so angry at her choices. And I really thought it was her choice. And I didn't really understand the disease of depression and how that can overtake somebody. And I was so committed. And this was for decades. I was so committed. This really was up until a few years ago. I was so committed that this would never, ever happen to me. And my mother's life in my head was a cautionary tale. Even though she loved and adored me and my siblings so much, she really was a great mom. I was going to work out. I was going to make a lot of money. I was going to be independent. I was going to eat healthy. I was going to look fucking fabulous. And then I started spiraling. And, you know, I have been to countless... Therapists, like the whole mom issue thing has always been an undertone everywhere I've gone, you know, forever. And after my daughter was born, and mind you, I know this is going to sound crazy, especially if you know me now, but when my daughter was born, I had zero hobbies, none, none. And my husband would tell me, Allison, you really need to get a hobby. You need to do something, you know, with, with something you love. And I would say, I know, I wish I had something I was good at. I wish I had something I loved enough to do it. Instead, I would, you know, endlessly watch Real Housewives. And I literally watched every single franchise and every single episode and knew every character. I don't anymore, but uh, all I would do is watch Real Housewives or whatever reality TV show was on, raise my young babies. I would work, hang out with friends and work out and that's it. But what happened is I started to going uh, going to a trainer um, that was recommended to me. And at the time, I would work out at 5 a.m. a few mornings before work. And when I first started going to this trainer, she measured my BMI. BMI stands for uh, Body Mass Index. And it is, you know, an indicator. It's kind of controversial. Some people think it's kind of bullshit. Um, but my BMI was super high for my weight, which was like 115 pounds or something. I was not heavy at all. I just wanted to get rid of the little pooch, you know, that my baby left. It was like, my BMI was like 25, which was way above normal for my weight and the height. I'm like five foot four. And at this point I saw red and this trainer had me tracking my macros on my fitness pal. And I was obsessed and weighed and tracked every single thing I put in my mouth. I had a help from a nutrition coach, this fitness trainer, taking progress pictures of my body all the time, which I hated. And I spent my weekends pre-cooking, portioning, and packaging all my food for the week in these teeny tiny plastic containers. I still hate them when I see them. I was positive that I was just one Dorito away from turning into my mom. And I knew this wasn't good. I was skinny and I was strong. And I just had this teeny little pooch in my belly that I couldn't get rid of. And I went to several therapists trying to help me. I knew something was wrong. I could literally feel myself going crazy. Like I knew none of this obsession mattered in the grand scheme of things. Nobody cared 
uh, of this in this elusive goal to have this pre-baby body back was mine and mine alone. And, you know, it didn't help my relationships. In fact, it hurt them. And I was spending so much time worrying about food and cooking. And, you know, like, by the way, I fucking hate to cook even more today, but I hated it. And I was sad that I wasn't spending time with my kids. I was busy obsessing over my body. It was the worst. And I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't, I was spiraling so much where I just, uh, I just, I, I could feel, I could see myself going crazy. I could feel it. And I didn't know how to stop. And so I decided to fix it. And apparently nothing can fix you know, that little pooch after you have the baby, it's called diastasis recti, which is like the separation of the muscles in your abs that can happen after childbirth. And the only thing that could fix it was surgery. So I was like, forget it. I'm going to get a mommy makeover. Just flatten out this this damn belly. A mommy makeover is a tummy tuck and a boob lift is what I was uh, going to get. And, uh, uh, so I was going to get this mommy makeover, just flatten out this belly, fix the hernia while you're in there and lift those boobs too, will ya? So problem solved, right? Wrong, bitch. That surgery was so botched. It was botched. And it was unbelievably intense. But I had necrosis. It is a death of the skin. You could look it up. It's like the almost one of the worst things that can happen, I was highly unlikely to um, be a candidate for necrosis, like skin death, where I literally had a hole in my entire stomach healing from this, where I had to wear um, a medical device for a month. And it was loud, like everywhere I would go, I'd go to work and you could hear it on elevators. And it was just embarrassing. And I had, um, I ended up having three surgeries to correct it. And it's still kind of messed up today. I still have a lot of scar tissue and it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of bulgy there. Um, and, you know, it, today it's fine, whatever, you know. Uh, but uh, through all this, through all this and kind of coming out of it, you know, I have some issues with goals, with some goals for me, especially fitness and eating goals. And you want to know what got me to finally snap out of it after paying every damn expert, and by expert I mean in air quotes, I could find a freaking tarot reader. That's right. One tarot reading reversed the entire thing where every single pro and conventional method failed. And it's funny how many times the metaphysical world has saved my ass or at least provided comfort after trying all of the rest. And so I'm sure you can probably relate to that too. You know, I, I generally uh, will try the conventional methods, but I think the answer in many cases is a blend of like the kind of metaphysical, spiritual, the things you can't really measure plus the measurable is, you know, like really the equation that kind of works. And I don't struggle anymore with body image anymore, thank goodness. I mean, with reason. I mean, every time I look at my body and spew some level of hate at my expanding thighs and changing body, I stop myself immediately. And I'm like, all right, I know this type of energy I, I cannot bring to the conversation anymore. Goodbye. I'm out. 
And now this may sound like an extreme situation. And for me, it really was. But I want to turn this back to you. But I wonder, do you have goals that you aren't sure why they are so important to you? Let's peel it back a little more. If you ask yourself, are these goals to prove your discipline? Are they a destination goal or a journey goal? Destination goals are harder. I'll be happy when. But the journey girl goals might be really a lifestyle goal, which might be more attainable. So if we are talking about 180 degree turns in your lifestyle, I would ask yourself, why is it important? So maybe if you're deciding to go cold turkey on stop drinking, not just a dry January, but maybe you are what they call sober curious. I actually really like this. And according to the author Ruby Warrington, she wrote a book called Sober Curious. Her definition, being sober curious, means literally to choose to question or get curious about every impulse, invitation, and expectation to drink versus mindlessly going along with the dominant drinking culture. And I thought that was such an interesting position of a way to be curious about why are you doing this? Why are you shopping? Why are you eating? Why are you, whatever it is, whatever unhealthy habit you're trying to break, why are you picking up the cigarette? Um, Or do you want to stop drinking together? And I love the idea of sober curious because it examines the question behind the impulse to drink. Am I trying to escape? So if we're thinking about unhealthy habits, am I wanting alcohol to loosen me up? Is it more habitual where it's just part of the routine? Is it a social thing? Do I need it to help with social anxiety? I am certainly no expert on alcoholism, but I do know that when posed the question, do I have a drinking problem? Not me personally, but does somebody have a drinking problem? The answer is usually not about the quantity or frequency that you drink, but the relationship you have towards alcohol. Like, does it change your personality when you're under the influence? Do you make different decisions than you would sober? Do you need it? Is it a habit? So my husband does dry January every year, and it's interesting to have conversations with him about how he feels throughout the month and how he reflects on sliding back into familiar routines in other months. I love that he's thinking through it. For me, I don't really drink. You know, my poison has always been chocolate, snacking, and shopping, and probably added Netflix and freaking social media. I'm definitely addicted, and I'm o- I'm totally an over-texter and a super scroller, and I've done, I've done episodes on intuitive eating and how to introduce some better habits, and I can link them in the show notes. But even as I'm trying to make better decisions on food choices, I am so aware that I eat out of habit and rarely hunger. And I think about emotional eating. So some of my work is to pause before housing those veggie chips that sound healthy, but we both know it's the same unhealthy bullshit as a bag of Lay's potato chips, no matter what the label says, because you can't stop eating it. They're so addictive. But let's go even deeper. This really has nothing to do with discipline. It has nothing to do with capability. It has everything to do with mindset. 
but not necessarily the bullshit good vibes only mindset. Listen to me closely as this has two components. For one, and I want you to really lean in here very closely. If you tell yourself you're a fat piece of shit and lazy, even if you say it jokingly, whether it's out loud uh, to somebody else or to yourself, it's going to be virtually impossible to reach a big weight loss or fitness goal. I mean, give yourself some grace here. And let me be clear, I don't want you to blame yourself. There is no shame in this because we all struggle here in some shape or form. There is a comfort in staying safe and staying small. And our society systemically is built to keep us playing safe and playing small. And and again, that's like all the conventional, like the status quo stuff that you do because you're supposed to do. But I say this only if you're feeling unfulfilled. And usually if you are a late learner, somebody that's a seeker like me, you're listening to this because, not because you're wholly unfulfilled, but because you want better. You're seeking more. You want to continue learning. And so I say that having the, you know, like the curiosity of what if, what is possible in the back of your head as we continue this conversation. But making a big change does require effort. It does require waking up every day and saying, I'm going to do something different today, even if there is resistance. And if it's something you truly want, it has to have resistance, like something, a change that you truly want. Binging the new season of Wednesday or Ginny in Georgia or Emily in Paris literally requires no effort and no resistance. Yet, I've been guilty of binging all three of these. But bringing it to our collective awareness of the choices that you make. And again, there's no shame. I mean, the world is designed around convenience, around fast, around most of the time unhealthy, around entertainment, around distraction. So knowing this is not a discipline problem, our world is surrounded in a way to make it easy for you, right? And to make things more accessible. But if those are not ideal states for you, then you have to make changes and you have to do it every day. And those changes don't have to be these enormous, huge things. They could be small, minor changes that lead to big, massive shifts for you. So I want to keep that in the back of your mind. And, you know, looking for resistance is where that magic happens, especially if you understand what's underneath and why it's important to you. That is why our motivation wanes after a week and goes downhill. Not for everybody, but statistics show that it's a reality because we get triggered by something. We hear those deeply seated voices that tell us, fuck this shit when you're in a bad mood or someone pisses you off or you get tough news. And I'll make this even more personal. What I am struggling with right now is my own mindset around money. No shit. If you listen to me for like five seconds or any episode, it comes up all the time. But, you know, like I have some issues around money and earning and productivity and self-worth. And, you know, I talk about this a lot because it is something I'm trying to tackle head on instead of shoving it under the rug. Um, and I know a lot of you struggle with it as well. And 
As you may know, I left my corporate career. If you're a new listener, thank you for being here. Um, But I left my corporate career last year to pursue this podcast and some creative endeavor endeavors and, you know, really more of an entrepreneurial track, but I didn't have a plan. And it has been the biggest and ballsiest thing I have ever done as, you know, and as I work to create a new career, there's definitely been some major financial adjustments I've made and continue to make with my family until I figure out how I can move forward and build brick by brick. And I spent some time last week with some old friends that I hadn't caught up with in a while. And the question came up, so I can see you've got a lot of weight around you, you know, like you're around the business model part. When are you going to just like, is there a date when you're just going to go get a job so you don't have to worry about money? Again, these friends didn't do anything wrong. They meant well. This was my fear manifesting in real time in front of me. When is that date? When is that expiration? You know, like this sabbatical that I'm taking from working. And again, I've been working the entire time. It was just the earning, you know, like having some kind of business model around it is what I'm developing now. Um, You can even see now I'm getting kind of defensive, but I knew it was at a limited time. And so asking the question, why don't, you know, when are you going to get a a job and just, you know, keep doing it on the side and building it, which is what I've done for like years. And so, you know, with them, immediately I went into a defensive mode and tried to explain what I'm working on, entrepreneur life, how I love it, how much more fulfilled I am. And really just trying to prove to them that I could do it, even though I didn't have the proof. And by the way, that is the definition of faith, right? But I found myself getting into the state of like, trying to prove like, no, I can do this. No, I'm, I'm worthy. Don't, don't think I'm crazy. And the reality is that I tanked the next day. This tiny, well-meaning question from someone I care about was the trigger that just rattled me to the core and really sent me down a path of doubt, which always affects the rest, right? And at this point, doubt is my enemy, So it has me adjusting some of the people I keep very close to me, my hype squad, if you will. And I'll summarize some of these so you'll see that I've kind of woven in some things to these stories that I'm sharing with you. Because I think there are some formulas that can really help you as you are working through your own triggers. And one of them is like talking about it, like saying it out loud and, you know, having a hype squad or having somebody listen or understand or just talking through it instead of keeping it all inside and feeling very lonely about it. But here's the last thing. And this is probably the most important and personally the hardest for me to figure out. So maybe we can figure it out together. You can always DM me your thoughts or email me at allison at allisonhair.com. Here is the deal. The problem with this is expectations and the attachment to outcomes. If I achieve X, then I'll be happy. If I have a million dollars in the bank, then I can rest. 
If I could stop at one glass of wine a night, I'll, I'll be happy. Once I get that big job, I'll have made it. Once I can fit into my pre-baby jeans, I'll be good. Did you know that 70% of resolutions fall in the physical health category? The second largest category was self-improvement at 10%. 70% physical health, 10% self-improvement. Isn't that something? And so if we take the Phil Stutz approach, so uh, it, Jonah Hill did a documentary on his own psychiatrist. His name is Phil Stutz. And his very unconventional but effective methods and it's on Netflix right now. I highly recommend it. It's called Stutz, S-T-U-T-Z. But if we take his theory that in life, you are guaranteed three aspects of reality that no one can avoid. Those three aspects are pain, uncertainty, and constant work. That's it. Pain, uncertainty, and constant work. But instead, our expectation especially as Americans, that we should be happy all the time. People are very uncomfortable with discomfort and pain and grieving. But that's not reality, right? So if the acceptance is that happiness isn't necessarily sustainable, what is better? And my question to you is, what makes you feel more alive? Like seriously, write it down for yourself. Like, right now. And if you want, send it my way. I'd love to know what makes you feel the most alive. And in Stutz, in Phil Stutz, uh, he has something called a life force model. There are three levels to what makes you, you. And he draws it in a pyramid, kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But on the bottom is the most primal level is your relationship with your physical body. This is the most important. The second level is your relationship with other people. And at the top of the pyramid is your relationship with yourself. And in the documentary, Stutz says that if you're lost, depressed, or feeling stuck, it's important to work on the life force first. Take care of your body, take care of your people, and take care of yourself. And so I think about like the body, the little minutia, the little minor things that we can do that add up to a healthier you. You know, like I think this was so many years ago. I think I just had my son, Danny, who's 10, and we hired a nutritionist and, you know, to help us with eating because we always just ate like shit and we we're trying to be a little more intentional. And she kept saying, crowd out the bad. You know, it's not that you throw out everything that could be a temptation or bad for you, but just crowd it out by little by little, adding in more healthier, good things. So crowding out the bad. And I'll leave you with this thought from relationship coach, Patty Farinola. And she said, it is our attachment to the results that get us in trouble because what we want as a person may not be what is best for our spirit. I'm going to say that again. It is our attachment to the results that gets us in trouble because what we want as a person may not be what is best for our spirit. So I would ask yourself, are your goals what you really, really want deep in your spirit? Or 
Are they rooted in shame-based cultural biases? And by the way, the more you ask yourself those questions and be honest, the more we have the power to actually dismantle and disempower those cultural norms and build healthier new ones. So I'll leave you with this quick summary. One, make smart goals. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic or relevant, and timely goals. Be specific, avoid the words more or less, unless they're preceded with specific numbers that are measurable. And then number two, replace overwhelming big aspirational goals with more bite-sized manageable shorter-term goals. Maybe it is just a January resolution that you're going to do every day, like my new challenge, like do something new every day. And by the way, with this challenge, I have 31 new kind of inventive ideas of things to do to kind of help keep you on track. And so those help. So if you want to join allisonhair.com forward slash new new, and it's in the show notes, but those healthy habits can lead you to the big aspirational goals. So connecting them will be important. The third is write down your goals, put them on your computer or on your mirror or somewhere where you can see them on a regular basis. I do believe in actively programming your brain by having it front and center instead of hidden in a notebook or in my case, a metal Superman lunchbox. Number four, if some of your goals are so overwhelming, and I want you to listen carefully and really assess because we are kind of bad at determining, is, is my situation bad enough? But if your goals are so overwhelming, but they're really important and meaningful to you, and maybe that looks like rock bottom, maybe that looks like a point of no return, maybe it's to quit drinking, maybe it's to get a divorce, or protect your kids, or get out of a toxic relationship like the serious ones. I would implore you to get some outside help and I would try your best not to let pride get in your way. Uh, Sometimes unhooking some deeply rooted patterns, it shows more strength to get help than try and manage on your own. And the pride gets in your way when you're like, well, I'm not that bad, you know? And what is it, the schadenfreude? Schadenfreude? I think that's what it is. It's like this German word for taking pleasure in somebody else's misfortune. And while I don't think that is what happens in this case, but I think in some cases we can see, you know, like maybe we have a problem and we can see it way worse than somebody else. And that's what we use as the benchmark. Like, oh, I'm not that bad, so I'm good. So I think it's worth kind of taking a look at. And then number uh, five, get an accountability partner or friend to do it with, or designate some folks to be your own hype squad. You know, I'm grateful for the new New Year Challenge Facebook group because I don't know if I'd be so consistent without it. So use the tools around you. There may be some challenges or Facebook groups or things that are trying to accomplishment or accomplish, uh, you are trying to accomplish for people trying to do the same thing or uh, groups that you can be part of um, where you can help others too, because the best way to get unstuck is to help somebody else too. And if you want to join us, like I said, please do so at allisonhair.com forward slash new new. And, you know, like I said, talking about it, talking through it. And number six, give yourself grace. Wake up tomorrow, do something differently. 
It doesn't matter if we are detaching ourselves from the outcome and focusing on more bite-sized habits, then the destinations will be inevitable. But the habits and lifestyle changes are what really are really what people are aiming for to keep the res- making the results happen quicker and easier. Celebrate the wins, even if they're small. Learn from the losses. Keep moving forward. Hey, we are all late learners here. You are not alone, but we can feel less alone when you realize this. I'll say that again. You aren't alone, but we can feel less alone when you realize that you're not alone, right? That's why I love, that's why I created this podcast, Late Learners, because we feel like it might be too late, but there's so much and there's so many people in your boat. All right, so how do you feel? Do you think that you'll revise your goals? Are you on the right track? Do you feel more insightful about where those goals came from? I hope you'll share this episode on the socials with your own networks and so and circles and especially with your friends who you suspect could use this advice today. The sharing means a lot to me, especially as an independent podcaster and as someone who's trying to find the other late learners out there so we can move forward together. And if you want to support this show, go to patreon.com forward slash late learner. You can get, it's only a few bucks a month. Uh, You would spend it and blow it in other places, I promise you that. But you can get bonus content, usually way more personal, and get all the episodes ad-free and early. And my Patreon supporters are the bomb. Lastly, I promised I would be putting out ways to work with me this week, but I'm still gathering information, and so I'm going to continue baking it. Remember I talked about microwave versus baking? I would, however, love your help. And if you could answer five quick questions about your own preferences for a wellness brand and experiences, would you help me out and go to allisonhair.com forward slash well. It'll only take a minute and just answer those questions. It would mean so much to me and will help me shape the new brand. Thank you for that. As always, Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for leaving reviews. Be good to yourself so you can be better for others. See you on the socials until I see you in the next episode.